0: Okay, we are continuing the study of Joshua. We started last week in the book of Joshua. And we hope to get to chapters 2, 3, and 4 tonight. If that sounds like a lot, you'll see why in a minute. But um, we'll, we'll do our best and see if we can get through that. Uh, the main thing want to point out before we start is there is a way of interpreting the Bible so it's helpful to us. And so it is not just a historical event, although it is that, but it's meant to teach us some spiritual lessons and those spiritual things are very important to us. We said God has gifts for us. And some are for now, and some of those are for later. And then some of them we have to win. We have to work for them. We have to possess them. God doesn't just hand them over and drop them in our lap. He expects us to work for those things, to win those things. And that's really what this text is about. Once we get to the point where we're saying... Well, I have accepted Christ as my Savior. I've got uh, Christ in my heart. Uh, Now what? Well, now now that's what? Here's what we do. We're going to grow up as Christians and develop as Christians. And what we're going to do is possess some of the things that God has for us. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. All right? So it doesn't just zap it in your head. You've got to work on how to get that peace. Jesus said, i am come that my joy might remain in you that your joy would be filled. All right? How do you get that? Well, you got, that's another thing you've got to take. All right? God says, here are things for you. These are things that you've got to possess and you've got to take. And so as Israel comes up to take the promised land, Joshua is now with them. They've come out of the wilderness, and they've come uh, to the Jordan River. They've come up here. on this side of the Jordan River, this is the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee, and the Mediterranean Sea. And this would be the promised land. All right, the promised land. That land, God made a promise. I'm gonna give that land to you. And so they they can't just say, okay, this is ours. They gotta go take it. They gotta possess it. And it's full of people, and they have to evacuate those people. So we saw last week Moses died. He's been the leader for a long time, 40 years and Moses died. What happened is he just walked away. He's 120 years old, perfect health, but he just walked out into the wilderness and God said, we're going to let you die here and I'll bury you. So Moses just walked away and he gone. Joshua is now in charge. In chapter 1 of Joshua which we went over last week, there's some things that God said to Joshua. He said, you're going to have to first of all work you got to work for what you're going to have. You're going to go into that promised land. You got to cover it, possess it. Wherever your foot touches, I'll give it to you. So get going. You got work to do. All right? And then he said, "Just so you know, I'll be with you. I will always be with you wherever you go." So you got work to do. Possess the land. I'm here to help you. All right? And then he said to don't go left or right don't go left or right or that is don't turn away from what you know is right, obey and that's what's going to take for you to uh, succeed, you have to do what you're supposed to, and then he said you need to meditate on the Bible to meditate, you have to think about the Bible, the last thing he says, uh, I want no fear you got to learn not to be afraid. And so in chapter one, God talking to Joshua says, you got to go to work. All right, I'll be with you. Stay right. Don't go left or right off the track. You know what's right. Stay with that. Meditate on the Bible. And then uh, you can't be afraid. And we talked about that a little more last week. You can't be afraid. So a leader is going to lead for the people of Israel, they're going to lead them into the promised land, is the new leader is Joshua, and uh, they're told uh, that's who's taking you in. Now, I want to say something here, that these lessons that we're going to talk about are really, i got to say, well put here. They really... There's information that's going to keep you right. So, this is really important text. And the more I read it, the more I think, yeah, yeah this is, if you want to possess all that God has for you. And you remember we talked about last week, the promised land went way over here, way over here, and all the way to the Mediterranean. He said we'll go from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean, from way up north to way down south. That's all the land you could take it. And they never did take all of it. They never got it all. And so the point of that was the promises of God that he's made to you and I are so many, and there's so many wonderful things, you're not likely to get them all. You're not likely to get all that he's got. But we want to Make progress and and possess what God has to offer, and we don't want to stay put, not growing, not developing. We want to go ahead, let's make progress. So possess what God has to offer. And uh, when we come to these lessons here, it's really kind of fascinating to me. Moses was the last leader. He was a very powerful individual. Did tremendous things for God. He just kept going and really accomplished a lot. But he led a group that constantly complained. They were a group of complainers. And complainers just complained. They complained that they didn't have any food. So God gave them manna. And then they complained they were sick of manna. When manna came, that says bread that came down from heaven in the form of little seeds, and they could pick it up in the morning off the ground, <laughs> grind it into flour and make it, and it was like uh they said it was like very light, tasty bread. All right, it's like when you go to the to the bread store. And by the nice, sweetest thing they have, they said it tasted sweet. Tasted wonderful. They complained about that. They complained they didn't have water. They complained about Moses regularly. They complained we want onions. We want to go back to Egypt so we can have onions and garlic again. They got to the promised land, and they complained there. So you brought us here to kill us. There's giants in the land, and we can't deal with it. Now, God finally says to Moses, you know, let's get rid of these people. I'm sick of it. And Moses said, well, let's work with them. And God said, okay, we will for a while. But then God said, no, no. And so possessing the land, these people, the original group, In about seven or eight weeks, we're standing there ready to possess the land. They complained themselves right out of God's promises. So, complaining is right up on the top of the list. If you want to possess the land, don't complain. Don't complain. If you want to possess the land, you cannot complain. And it's like a contagious disease. If you get around people who complain, it's very likely after a while you'll start complaining. And and complaining, complaining, complaining. I've talked to people, 90% of their conversation is some form of complaint. They complain about this. They complain about that. Now, I don't like it. I get tired of it. God doesn't like it either. Alright? So, if we're gonna possess all that God has for us, we must not be complainers. We have to be very careful about this. So, God says Moses, I don't to do away with it. And Moses pleaded on their behalf, but finally God said, alright, Forty years, they're going to wander. They complain, finally, the last complaint I'm going to listen to. Forty years, they went out, and they wandered around here in the desert, just around in circles, until everybody died who came out of Egypt over 20 years old. Now, if you were under 20, which is basically teenager down to little babies. Uh, then you weren't included in that. But if you came out and you were 20 years old and up, God said, I'm so sick of your complaining, I will not have it anymore. You're going to die in the desert. And so they wandered for 40 years around, around the desert until every one of them was buried in the sand. Two left. Two left. Moses was three, all right? Moses went off by himself and died not a complainer. Right? But uh, 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 there was Joshua and then his partner Caleb. The only two who survived, who came across the Red Sea over 20 years of age. There was only two left when Joshua is up here ready to go into the promised land. <clears throat> and I'll tell you what, complaining will kill a church. A complaining spirit will kill a church. Absolutely do it in do it in. And it is contagious. People start to complain and somebody, pretty soon you're nodding your head and pretty soon you turn into a complaining person and God says if you want to possess what I got for you you're not going to have complaining people. He won't have it. All right? God won't have it. And that's what he proves when he's come to Joshua. So he's got the next generation that he's taking in, and they have learned not to complain, which is what they really needed to know. And so, of course, the complaining spirit, they complain about Moses of all people. I don't know what God's going to do with him. They gave you one of the great leaders of all times, one of the greatest leaders of all time greatest government leader that there ever was and you complain and complain and complain I led you out of slavery. I put 10 plagues on Egypt. I took you across the Red Sea. I got water out of a rock for you twice. I fed you with manna every day. Uh, Your clothes didn't wear out. Your shoes didn't wear out. And I took care of you every single day. And you complained the whole time. And that's it. I'm sick of it. And so it's a very dangerous attitude that God has towards complaining. And we need to get it in our head. We need to get it in our head. This is not the way we're going to get what God has for us. Right. Now, <clears throat> when we come to the book of Joshua, if you look down at uh, chapter 1, the last verse of last week's thing, uh, Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy command will not hearken to thy words, and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. So they made an agreement. They said, if anybody complains about you, Joshua, we'll kill them. That's business, right? We're down the pits. All right. Sometimes I thought that maybe that's not a bad idea. Of course, I don't really mean that. I'm not going to kill anybody (laughs) if you complain. But you're killing the spirit in the church when you complain. And so it's a very, very important point. It's the reason we got to Joshua, because they complained themselves right into a grave. And God wouldn't have it anymore. Now, so <clears throat> with that agreement, if it, we, they people say this second generation, these people who are 20 and under, are born, a lot of them are born out in the wilderness, probably a large percentage of them were born out in the wilderness. Uh, Those people have said, you know, we're not going to complain. We are going to do what Joshua says. And so God (coughs) um, wanted to make sure that they didn't complain against Joshua. So God had a method that he used, and what he would do, he would... Come to Joshua, say, here, Joshua, I'm going to tell you what to tell them. So every message in the book of Joshua comes right to Joshua from God. He turns around, tells the people, do this, and then the next part is they do it. Sometimes, when we're reading the book of Joshua, you say, They said that three times. Yeah, God said it to Joshua, Joshua said it to them, and then they did it. So, when we're reading, we say, Well, this is repetitive. It's repetitive because God is putting everything on Joshua so that the people will honor him and not complain about him. All right? It's awful easy to complain about a leader awful easy. It's not going to get you anywhere. And Joshua, if he's doing what leaders do, work. Have God with you. Stay on the right track. Think about the Bible. Soak your mind in it. And don't be afraid. Then support him. Of course, the ultimate problem with the complainer is what? He is ungrateful. He's ungrateful for what God did. All right? And so they complain. So this new generation is going to be led in now by Joshua. and Everything is going on to Joshua so that they learn to respect him. They didn't respect Moses. The second generation did, but not the first generation. And we'll touch on that quite often as we go through chapter two it brings us to chapter two now we are not going to read the whole chapter because we just did this uh well maybe three four months ago we did the story of rahab the harlot if you recall Uh, in our study on some of the ladies of the bible we did rahab the harlot and uh, this is her story here. But we're going to read through part of it so that we uh, recall what it is and think about Joshua. Now, he's sitting over here on the other side of the Jordan. And here's his first action. Uh, Joshua 2. Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came to a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So my first question is, do you think this is a good idea? Was it? And my question is Joshua. He sent out spies. How'd that go the last time they sent out spies? Well the last time he spent outside, sent out spies, they gave a bad report, and they went back and wandered in the desert for 40 years. So, I'm scratching my head, Joshua, it didn't work last time. So should you do it again? Should you do it again? Now, verse 2, it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. Well, how did they know that? I thought they were spies. Well, (laughs) um, some people just look different. Uh, These fellows were wearing clothes that were 40 years old, and shoes that were 40 years old that they got in Egypt. And God said, when you're in the desert and you're going, until you get to the promised land, I'll make it so your shoes and clothes don't wear out. And they didn't. So for 40 years they wore the same clothes. Now I got some clothes I've had for quite a while. But not 40 years. Not 40 years. At least, not that my wife has found yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And so if you send in spies and they're wearing the strangest pair of clothes you ever saw in your life, <laughs> I know where them guys came from. So right away, they're spotted as soon as they come into town. And <clears throat> there's, that's one thing. You, you ask the question, do you think he should have sent these spies? Was it a good idea? It hadn't been a good idea before. And they got caught as soon as they walked into town. Uh, and so they say, well, they weren't very good spies. And you notice they go into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodge there, which is what I would call a sign of the times. Jericho is a major city. Major city, and even after it was destroyed, it was rebuilt because it was in a special place right next to the Jordan River. It's right on that side, the opposite side where Joshua is camped. On the other side of the river is Jericho. The major city, it has big walls all the way around it. It's a walled city, and so they operate take all the property around, come in every night in their walled city. And it's like a little tiny country where they run their own cell. they got plenty of business. But you notice if you want to stay overnight, you're stuck with a harlot or a prostitute because it's a sign of the times. Now, the Bible says that the reason they didn't come out of Egypt for 400 years They went to Egypt for food. Joseph is in charge down there. And they go to Egypt, they get food, and they stay there. And Joseph takes care of them. But they were there for 400 years. The reason, the Bible says, is because the cup of iniquity of the Canaanites was not yet full. Or in other words, God was watching these people who lived in there, the Canaanites, and you'll see their names, the Hittites and Hevites and, and the Jebusites and all sorts of them as we go through. And uh, the reason that God waited until this time, because their cup of iniquity finally got full. They were bad people who did bad things. And finally, God said, that's it. I am not gonna put up with this anymore. I'm gonna wipe them out. And so Joshua is the man who's going to come in and wipe him out. Because one of their favorite things is to take a, a brand new baby and throw it in a fire alive. And God says, this won't put up with it. As I said, That's it. I am not going to allow these people to sacrifice their own children. And they would start a rock inside a hollow rock on the mountainside. they start a great big fire, take a baby and throw it in. I mean, God said, that's it. I am not putting up with this anymore. And sex was everything to these people. So if you want to stay anywhere, you're going to stay with a harlot. It's the sign of the times. That's what it's like all through Canaan. And so God said, that's it. These people are taking their own children and killing them, or they're turning them into more more of the same so they're gone. I want the whole population wiped out. That happened other times in the world, you know. they the flood with Noah, all right? It was the same kind of thing. God said, I can't, it's, it's no good. I'm not gonna have it anymore. I'm sure, in my opinion, that the South America, down there, where those uh, uh, populations, Aztecs and so forth, were uh, were wiped out. And they say, what happened to the Mayan civilization? Well, every time they find a body somewhere down in one of those pyramids of dirt down in the bottom, it's a young lady with a head hole in it. You've been smashed, offered as a sacrifice. God said, that's it. So here, as they come in, the only place they can stay is in a prostitute's house. So it's a sign of why the destruction is coming. Verse three, and the king of Jericho sent it to Rahab, saying, "Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thy house, where they be come to search out all the country." And the woman took two men, hid them, said, "Thus these men came unto me, but I wished not whence they were. I don't know who they were. Came to pass about the time of shutting the gate when it was dark. The men went out. Whither they went, I wot not. I don't know where they went. Pursue quickly, for you shall overtake them. But." She brought them to the roof of the house, hid them with stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof. So they would have flax that you'd turn into to, uh, uh, yarn uh, to make clothes. And uh, who's drying on the roof? She takes these two fellows up on her roof and covers them with flax to hide them. And the king says, I want those two. She said, Well, they left. So uh, they go looking for them. And then she comes up on the roof, verse 9. She said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land, that your terror has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. So uh, Rahab says to the spies, look, he says, there's three things that have convinced me and everybody else, but it particularly convinced me. Now what it did to everybody else The people, the Canaanites, or in particular the men of Jericho right now, uh, they're just filled with fear. They're absolutely terrified of you. Me, Rahab, she says, it did something different for me. I believe in your God. I believe in your God. I believe in God. That God that leads you around, I know that's the real God. And three things, and I think that's a fascinating thing. They crossed the Red Sea. Happened 40 years before. Rahab, if she was alive when it happened, just was a kid. And would have heard the story about 40 years before that this nation of slaves... Uh, was being pursued by Pharaoh and g- their god opened the Red Sea and they went on across cross on dry, dry land and when Pharaoh followed, the whole army drowned in the, in the Red Sea. So we heard that story. And then we also heard that just a few months ago, you guys came up to that part of the land and there was a king up here named Sion and he was running the show, and he went, his property that he seized and held went all the way up around here. He owned up that property. And the children of Israel said, we just want to pass through your property. We're going to the promised land. And he goes, no, I'm coming after you. And so king of Zion went down, and they wiped him out. All right, now there's another guy who <laughs> I think is a pretty interesting uh, fella. If you look at uh, Deuteronomy 3, back a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 3, it's, uh, there's the other king that she mentioned and this is why uh, they're so impressed. Deuteronomy 3, if you look at verse 3 so the lord our god delivered into our hands og also the king of bashan so down here to the south is this king named og og and he runs this place called bashan so siam the king up here attacks the israelites and they beat him and destroy him so then og who's just south of there it says, uh, So the Lord our God delivered into her hands Og also, the king of Bashan, and all his people. We smote him until none was left to him remaining. We took all his cities at a the time. There was not a city which we took not from them. Three score cities. That's 60. They took 60 cities from Og. All the region of our God, the kingdom of Og, and Bashan. So we took all of that and uh, looked down at the interesting part, verse 11. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it after the cubit of a man. So Og was famous. He's a giant. Huge guy. And they said his bed was 13 and a half feet long. All right. Now, I like a big bed, but that's a really big bed, right? (laughs) This guy was a giant. And it says he was one of the giants. And here's this guy. He's probably 12, 10, 11 feet tall. He's huge. And he's the king. He runs his show. he does whatever he wanna do. And uh, when they turned to attack the Israelites, they wiped out and took 60 cities of his. And so Rahab says there's three things. These guys crossed the Red Sea 40 years ago. And then these two kings who were absolutely dominant on the east side of the Jordan River You wipe them out entirely until there's no population left. They're all gone. And one of them was Og. For heaven's sakes, he was a monster of a man. And you took care of him too. And you filled him. So she said, now I believe in God. Isn't it interesting that she believes in God? What promise did she have? None. None. She didn't have any promise that if you believe in God, you go to heaven. She didn't have that. She didn't know nothing. She had nothing. Just her own reasonable response to that kind of God. All right, so back in, in Joshua. 2 verse 10 and 11. He said you were there. In verse 11 as soon as we heard these things our hearts didn't melt. Needed any remain any courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God he is God in heaven above and in earth below. She made that conclusion the rest of them lived in total fear. So Rahab stands out. So question is was it worth sending the spies? Answer Well, they were going to check out Jericho. They were unsuccessful in that. They didn't check out anything. They got into town, took a hotel, and the king figured out who they were immediately. Uh, But what did they find out? They found out that everybody on this side of Jordan is terrified of you. And you're still on the other side of Jordan. They're terrified of you. That's good thing. And then Rahab also was there. And Rahab, uh, they made an agreement. They said, here's, here's what we'll do. Uh, Rahab said, I want you to save my life when you destroy this city and, she, and my family. And they, so they said, we'll make a three-part pact. Number one, you must keep it a secret and tell what we're doing. Number two, everyone has to be in your house. Your father, your mother, your cousins, whoever it is, It must be inside your house. If they're not in your house, we're not responsible for them. And number three, you tie a scarlet rope in the window. If you'll do that, then we promise you'll be safe. And of course, when we look over in Matthew, when they're given the genealogy of Christ, there's Rahab. He's right in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. Rahab is mentioned as the great grandmother of King David. And so she not only believed but came into the family and was one of the the descendants of Jesus uh, in the line of Christ. So They got good information about Jericho? Well, no, not really. But they got information that everybody's terrified. That they had. And it says back in 24, uh, verse 24, chapter 2, They said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. So that's the report they got back. And that's okay. That's a good report. So it had value it worked out. It had value. All right. So, uh, and God is merciful to people who will believe on Him, no matter where they are, who they are, where they come from. Here's a lady comes from Jericho. She's a harlot. She's a prostitute in Jericho, and she believes in God, and it saves her soul. And Jesus would later say, "You remember what He said? He said that the prostitutes." And the tax collectors and the low class people of Israel come to the kingdom first before the rest of you snobs. That's what Jesus said. All right. And so here's a perfect example of it. Now, chapter three Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it that there should be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the ways you must go, for you have not passed this way uh, <coughs> heretofore. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And so Joshua said, Get ready. I want you everybody to get ready. Get down to business. Start thinking seriously. We just moved now. We're down on the banks of the Jordan River and uh, we're going to do something. You're going to see what God will do. And we're going to send the Ark of the Covenant first. You stay three quarters of a mile from it, don't get close to it. You stay back. But the Ark of the Covenant is going to lead the way. And when you see it, get out there a little bit in front. Don't get near it, but you follow it. It's an interesting change. Fascinating change. Now, why is that so fascinating? Well, for 40 years, they've been wandering in the desert, following a cloud. There's been a cloud by day. And that cloud turns into fire at night. And from the day they left Egypt God sent that cloud He said when the cloud goes you follow it. So they've been wandering for 40 years behind the cloud. You get up in the morning cloud stays there we don't move. Get up and it goes we go. Right, at night time it turns into a fiery cloud not a right, huge fire, but you can tell it's the cloud, but there's fire in the cloud. And they've been following that for 40 years. And he said, now you're going to do something new. You're going to go away you have never gone before. You're going to follow the Ark of the Covenant. No more cloud. Now, if we want to possess the promised land, you're going to follow the Ark. The cloud is over. You and I, if we're going to Get hold of the promises of God. We got to get past the cloud. The cloud is undefined. It's just there. What is it? I don't know. It's a cloud. It's not anything definable. We just follow it. Right? And there's a time when you can look at God that way. You say, Well, who's God? I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm okay. I'm. I don't need to know who he is. Well, yes, you do. You need to know who he is. You can't spend your life following a cloud. If you're going to possess the land. If you're going to take and, and get your hands on what God has promised you, you have to have a clearer picture of who God is. And that's the Ark of the Covenant up there in front of you. Now, what is that? Well, it's a box. It's made of wood. Uh, I'm not an artist by any way nobody can argue for that Okay, but there's a block it's made of wood overlaid in gold solid gold it's 47 inches wide it's 27 inches high and so uh 47 this way 27 27 that way and it's got rings on it and they put long poles through it and they carry it on their shoulders and ring the two side? inside of it is a bowl of manna but the main thing inside of it is The Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are inside. It came right from God. God took his own finger and carved on stone, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. He carved those laws, those rules in stone. And said, this is how you're gonna run society. This is what you're gonna do. You shall honor your father and your mother have no other gods before me. I make no graven images. Don't steal, don't kill, uh, don't, uh, and so on. The Ten Commandments, that's what's in there. So, on the top of the box, which is the most impressive thing to me, made from one piece of gold, I'm sure it was melted down and then formed by very, talented people, are two angels. So on top of this gold-covered wooden box, there's two angels, and their wings come up and touch each other, and their faces, and they look at each other. And So on top of the box, about four feet wide, there's these golden angels all formed out of one piece of gold and their wings touch, they're facing each other, and their wings touch, and they can see each other. They're looking at each other. That's the box you're going to follow. So what do you know about God? you know that God has, here's, this is how you're going to run your life. Here's a commandment. That's in that box. And it's covered in gold, and it's a masterpiece. The angels on top are a real masterpiece. And now you think of God, is not just a cloud, right? It's a box. The top of it, top of the box is called the mercy seat. What they call the top of the box. The cover was called the mercy seat. What does it mean? It's that God is sitting on the mercy seat. He's under the angels and his presence is on top of the box. And from there, he will dispense mercy. But he has the law right there. And so you respect him, and you get it straight what God's all about. Now you go into the promised land. You're not following a cloud anymore. It's not something, well, I don't know quite what God is. You know what God is. His presence is going in that box. You follow that across the river. All right, let's go on and see what happens. Verse 6, Joshua spake to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua... This day I will begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel that they may know as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. So as I explained, God talks to Joshua, Joshua talks to the people, people do what Joshua says. Verse 8, I shall command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the brink of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in Jordan. And so he says, okay, take the Ark. You guys, the priests—they got it on their shoulder—and walk down by the river. And we'll stay three quarters of a mile behind you. And when you get to the river, which happens to be flooded, it's a time of the year when the river overflows its banks, and so it's not like a little stream like go crossing the Oak Orchard Creek. All right, it's—it's it's a rushing. Water coming down through, way overflowing the banks. And so he says, when you get to the river, step in. And so the priests are carrying the box, the Ark of the covenant, and they step into the water. All right? They stand there. So they step in and stand there now verse 12 start there now therefore take you 12 men out of the tribes of israel out of every tribe a man so there's 12 tribes but you choose one man out of each tribe so there's 12 people and collect those men to me says joshua 13 it's come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet The priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan. The waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap." And it come to pass, when the people removed from their tents, pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, they bear the Ark, were coming to Jordan, feet of the priests, bear the Ark, dipped in the brim of the water, where Jordan overfloweth all his banks, all the time of harvest, that the waters came down from above, stood, and rose up in a heap. Now, Now, it happened quite a ways up the river. So, they're crossing the river right here, just across from Jericho, And quite a ways up the river is water dammed up. There's a couple of little creeks that run into the river. They all dry up, too. So the water, he says, heaped up. Water doesn't heap up, right? you, You drop your water, and it just goes, all right? But water heaped up. In the Red Sea, they said the water heaped up and they went between it. Now uh, so that's what happens is upstream of the Jordan River, all of a sudden the water started to rise, there's no more water running down. And so they step in to the water, and it's all dry, <coughs> chapter four. It's quite a ways upstream that that happened. Chapter four, it came to pass when all the people were clean class over the Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man. Command ye them, saying, Take hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priesthood stood firm, twelve stones. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. All right, so <coughs> they crossed the river. Uh, and somewhere out there, three quarters, Priests standing with the ark on their shoulders. They come into the water. Water's dried up. And now they're standing on dry ground. And so they seem to move in they're somewhere in the middle of the river. The water stopped running. You now these people, making sure their space, don't cross the river, they cross. And there's there's over a million of them. There's, you know, not a couple hundred. There's over a million of them. And it says they hurried across the river. Why are they hurrying? <laughs> this is great. Let's go. Because they're excited. They love it. Look at this. We're going into the promised land. And God did what he did way back in 40 years ago at the Red Sea. He stopped the waters. And we're going across on dry land. This is great. And it says they hurried across. And the two the priests that are holding the ark don't move. They stay right there. Now, God tells Joshua, and Joshua says, Get 12 men, and I want you, 12 men, to go in the river and get yourself a big old rock as big as you can carry. Put it on your shoulder. And I want you to carry that rock up on the other side of the river. And so that's what they're going to do. Why? Verse five. Joshua said to them, Pass over before the Ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, take every man of you a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord it passed over Jordan the waters of Jordan were cut off these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever now Joshua's got something else to do Verse 8, children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, took up 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of tribes of Israel, carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, laid them down there. And Joshua sent up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day." For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, as the Lord commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. People hasted and passed over. All right, and so there's two things that he does. People are all across. He's got 12 fellows on the other side. He says, First, you're going to carry a big old rock up on the other side and then we're gonna get 12 more stones, and right here where they're holding the Ark of the Covenant, we're gonna make a pile of big old rocks, roll them up, and get them all piled up right in the middle of the Jordan River. All right, and when we got that, uh, then the Ark, will go out. Verse 15, The Lord spake to Joshua, saying, Command the priests, that bear the ark of the testament, that they come out of the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Cup ye out of the Jordan. It came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come out of the middle of the Jordan, the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And so... Uh, Verse 21, He spake to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? And you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. So he has two memorials. One's right in the middle of the river, built right up a big pile of 12 big old stones And the Jordan River is not, who's seen the Jordan? I know Louie's seen it, anybody else seen the Jordan? It's not a great big huge flowing Mississippi River. And when it's not at flood stage, it's it's just kind of a small river. And so, you're walking along and look at them rocks somebody built, sticking right out of the water. What's that? Well, let me tell you. And they go and on the shore on the other side there's another pile of rocks big rocks that somebody piled up what do he do that for he says you're going to tell your children don't forget you can't forget don't forget it's necessary that children be taught things so that they remember by parents it is the role of parents to teach their children about the things of god and he said i'm going to leave these here so that your children will someday say what what's that said, you should have been here we walked across there on dragging the river way way up dried right up no more water and we let over a million people right across to the other side on dry ground because God made it stop. They said, what was it like? Well, the Ark of the Covenant, these guys carried it into the water and then it stopped. And they stood there while we all crossed. And finally, when the last stone was piled up and they came out, then they walked out of that river. As soon as they got on the bank, water came back. Tell your children, Tell your children and tell your children's children. And as long as those rocks are there, you tell them what God did. Now, why is that so critically important? Same thing Jesus did. He said, here's a little cup of juice and here's a little piece of bread. Don't forget. Don't forget. Because the tendency of humans is to forget. You mean we could forget that Jesus died on a cross? Real easy. Real easy. Could go out of our mind, don't even think about it for weeks. He said, it's easy to forget. He said, so you take your children and show them the rocks, and when you come to communion, make sure your children are there so that they learn again what it's all about. And so it's always been, in the history of the Bible, these monuments staying here and there, you'll find a whole bunch of them through the Bible. Big stone set up somewhere, stone called Ebenezer, all right, other things. And there's a two pile of rocks so that you don't forget. All right, now, the best part of the story, I didn't even tell you, and I'll take a couple minutes if you don't mind, because I love this part more than the rest. Mm-hmm. What you understand is when you come to the Jordan River they came over this side and then just on the other side there's some pretty high mountains back a little ways. And then there's the Jordan River Valley. And you can bet your life those mountains are full of Canaanites. And they're looking over there. There's a million people on the other side of the river who crossed the Red Sea, who took this giant guy, 12, 13 feet tall, and killed him and his entire kingdom. And they're standing on the other side of the river. And what are we going to do? And they're spying you can bet if Joshua spent spies, they had all kinds of spies. They were looking for three days for the two little spies there. They went to the ford instead of the Jordan River to look for those two spies. They went all the way to the Jordan River looking for them. And on the other side of the river is a million people. Now they can go up on these mountains and they can look at the whole crowd. Look at them. Look at them all. What a reputation! And what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, they see this box, this golden box, and these priests with their white clothes on. And they walk right into the river. And all of a sudden, the river dries up. And they're standing looking down, and there's water. Where'd it go? Look way up as far as you can see. The water's piling up higher and higher and higher. way up there is a dam. But there's no rock in it, no dirt in it. There's a dam. And that box, they carried it in the river, and the river fled. And that's what it says in the book of Psalms. What was wrong with you, Jordan River, that you ran away and fled? God came into the river. And now this box is in the middle of the river. And they're looking down. As the river dried up. And all of a sudden a million people come across to your side. And they're running across. And <laughs> here we come. We're coming. You're already terrified. But you just saw that box stop the river. How do you think they felt a few days later? when they walked up to Jericho with that box in front. <sighs> that's their God. That's their God. That's the power that opened the river and they're, they're across. That's, that's it. And they're carrying it around our city. What are we going to do? Terrified. Absolutely terrified. They knew that God's presence was on that box. I got to stop because I could go on for hours. And it gets more and more exciting as we go, really. As we just, they're just starting. What do we learn? Complainers, not going in. God won't have it, right? Right? You need to have a clear concept of God. No more cloud. Now it's a box with meaning and words inside of it. And a sight that you can see. There it is. And now you have a clear concept of who God is. So you go in and possess. And what happens? They're terrified. They've seen you come across on dry land. Oh, it's great. (laughs) Stop, stop. Say, stop. I will. But I'm ready to go. Let's go again next week and see what happens next. Thank you.